Hi everyone and welcome to Hit the Apex this week. It's a busy week we've got ahead. It's been a busy week coming into it and it's just only going to get busier because we've got the French Grand Prix on this weekend and that kicks off the triple header that we've got for F1 coming over the next three weeks. So let's start it off by previewing the French Grand Prix. I'm Juard as always, joined by Baden. And yes, busy indeed we've been, but it's only going to get busier from here on in. Yeah, hard to believe that, um, well, first of all, good evening, good afternoon, good morning, wherever you're listening from, but uh, in about 18 days' time, we'll be effectively halfway through the season and the entire championship outlook could be drastically different because we'll have this... Um, it will be no surprise to see Hamilton and Bottas uh, really looking quite comfortable and just, just the way that track flows, it's it's already been quite derided, so it'll be interesting to see if... Um, we can compound the tyres were had reduced tread depths on them by 0.6 millimetres, which made a big difference as far as Mercedes were concerned because they dominated the whole weekend. They were um, what if those are the other races that Mercedes dominate? But I decided to bring up the fact that we've got a different range of tyres on hand anyway this weekend than we did to Barcelona. Um, so they've got the soft, the super soft, and ultra soft, and I think. In Barcelona, they were one step behind. They had the media. You can't really go out and accurately forecast who might be dominating, but it, it wouldn't, again, be a surprise to see Mercedes, regardless of the, the compound struggles. They, they, they do tend to just excel characteristic-wise, you see here. Uh, similar enough, some of those chicanes, I guess, the slower corners perhaps we saw at, at Spain there. They, they really had the legs of Ferrari as much as uh, it was down to some misfortune there for for Vettel and the Red Bulls to an extent you can see that there's just something about it uh, at least personally I, I think Mercedes or Canada they do have at their disposal it could could be pivotal come well Mercedes Sunday. Mercedes sorry are due for the upgrade aren't they they didn't bring it to Canada last time out so you'd hope that they'd bring that fresh power unit this weekend with them to France and that I guess boosts if anything their chances of dominating as you said earlier between that and ferrari if they are due for any kind of failure it could come say here or a, a silverstone on those long straights so that they'll be on their their game to make sure that um you know they might have to be a bit conservative yeah well that's another variable that you know we've got to keep in the back of the mind for this year's championship just the three power units that you've got to nurse for the whole season so yeah well, we look at daniel ricardo it's quite a miracle that let alone finishing at Monaco and avoiding that penalty at Canada. So it's almost got to be inevitable at, at this stage that he's going to be taking it, if not here, then in front of the, the home crowd, either at uh, yeah Austria or Silverstone, Great Britain. They're both really the, the home tracks for them. So whether they would be inclined to take the hit now rather than later, it'll be fascinating to see come Friday whether there's that flood of, of news that these guys will be taking the grid drop. Yeah, you might have them... What do you call it? Let's have all the top guys starting from the 10th or whatever on the grid. That would make for an interesting race for sure. Um, but given the fact that we're at a new circuit and everything and um, there's a lot of unknowns, there'll be a lot of opportunity in the midfield, I guess, for guys to impress. And of course, this is Renault's home race, you know, first time since 2008 that they've had a home race. And of course, now Renault back on the grid as a manufacturer and a works team, they'll be looking to score some big points, you'd hope given the fact that they've been kicked in the in the nads, you could say, this week with the announcement of uh, Red Bull and 
announcing the split and going over to Honda, which we'll talk a bit about later. But yeah, Renault will be playing for pride, I guess, this weekend. Oh, Cyril Abitable has already made it clear that he wants to make Red Bull regret that decision. So he'll have his troops there lifting, if not just for this occasion, for the balance of the season. So it immediately becomes clear to to Red Bull that they would be uh, second-guessing themselves. So you can see that they're really going to have a spring in their step. Yeah, you'd hope so. And Nico Hulkenberg and Carlos Sainz, they were in the points last time there in um, in Canada. So, you know, all point, all you know signs point towards a good weekend again. And similarly, I guess, your three French drivers that you've got on the grid, Esteban Ocon, Roman Grosjean, Pierre Gasly, all looking to impress, and they've uh, been in good form too. Grosjean, as I said last time, was a bit unlucky to miss out in points in Canada, so hopefully the Haas cars work very well. And for Charles Leclerc as well, perhaps a second home race for him. You know, he's been on a good run of points too for Sauber. As I said last week, he's already outscored Marcus Ericsson's career tally with Daniel Ricciardo. With Renault and anything more than, you know, those minor points for 7th or 8th will be a bonus. Yeah, you'd think so, but um, at the, they've still got to try and get those points wherever they can and not give Renault the slip, I guess, for fourth in the Constructors' Championship. But, you know, 16 points, I think it is at the moment, between those guys. So, yeah, they'll Renault would still want them to finish in the points, but behind them, of course, just so the Renault name scores points and all that on the day at their home race. But, yeah, kind of excited to see a new circuit on the grid and, and learn what it's like and everything. So it should be fun, hopefully, and uh, hopefully it's not a boring race on Sunday. Given Part of the, the World Cup, those clashes were um, unavoidable, and I guess that w- really did manifest in this triple header to avoid any kind of clashes for the, the final in mid-July. So it is what it is, and we can't really say we're too... Uh, displeased about having three f1 races in the space of a fortnight yeah well it's going to be exciting but as you said at the top anyway it's going to be a logistical battle for the teams and drivers and all the personnel involved moving the circus from one place to another anyway so let's uh go straight into the (coughs) is that what red bull needs next year you know having a new partner to work with fresh ideas i think uh at this stage, uh, they're happy to new regulations. Time will tell, but I think this this move was obviously a long time coming. Yeah, long time coming indeed. But um, it's just a big unknown for Red Bull, I guess, next year because we still don't know where Honda are as far as like you know. Do you do we hope so? And Daniel Ricciardo, I guess, what does it do as far as his decision is concerned for the future too? Yes, well, for him, I guess he's got the clarity now. But as much as uh, that part is resolved. The, the lack of any news probably since uh, around the, the hype of his Monaco victory, it just does tend to lead you towards thinking he'll he'll renew at Red Bull and throw his lot in and hope for the best with Honda. And as you might have discussed, going, going back a few months when it was all initially on the table, that perhaps he's got his faith in Red Bull delivering with the new regulations and committing his long-term future. Well, yeah, when they if they do end up changing ownership and everything with Aston Martin and all that, and I've noticed a lot of comments too around social media in regards to Aston Martin and everything. What does this do? What does the Honda deal do as far as Aston Martin are concerned? I'm sure that over the next few years, Aston Martin will be happy to have their branding on the car next to Honda or whatever. So it shouldn't be too much of a big deal. So we're led to believe. 
Yeah, nothing it appears will change. I'll essentially be the exact same official operation <laughs> Aston Martin Red Bull Racing Tag Hoyer, so that'll that'll be not something to be confused with and it seems as though Honda's already admitted that they're not going to be uh, expecting any kind of factory badging just like with Toro Rosso so they'll both work uh, in their own call them quasi customers they're going to have all the trappings that you get of being a, a factory outfit but Honda's not wanting to go in there and make it as though it's their team essentially yeah they don't need that sort of recognition and it's good that they've been able to stay in Formula One especially after what has as much as I like McLaren and everything um, it would have been a shame to see Honda as a manufacturer have to withdraw given the fact that yeah it's a bit of a monopoly at the moment between Mercedes and Ferrari the more manufacturer names we have on the grid the better and as long as they can become competitive oh, if nothing else for Honda these next two seasons will decide its its long-term future on the grid and if um, they move forwards and they'll commit and increase uh, perhaps their own desire into the, the new regulations. Otherwise, uh, again, it wouldn't be a surprise if they do pull the plug after 2020, but at least they've been given these extra couple of seasons to really see if it was all worthwhile. Yeah, they've been given every opportunity, I guess, by the sport to stay put. So we'll see what happens anyway in the coming future and hopefully we have more on Daniel Ricciardo soon too as well. So um, quickly, yeah, not a lot to cover in the digest because we've got more to talk about with the 24-hour Le Mans and also supercars coming up too. But um, MotoGP was also on in the weekend. Barcelona, back-to-back wins for Jorge Lorenzo, I guess. Bit of karma about, you know, the fact that after he signed with Honda for next year that he suddenly come good on the Ducati. Davizioso crashed out. Not a good result for him as far as the championship is concerned. But, uh, yeah, a lot of talk about Lorenzo now but potentially being in this championship hunt. So that'll be interesting to see how things pan out. Yeah, he must sustain it. He's still coming off a pretty low base. From You've got to remember how dismal he was, essentially. Until that victory, he was absolutely nowhere. And Mark Marquez continues to accumulate those points, all of those consistent podiums that Blippi had the previous race. He uh, made sure that that wasn't repeated. So I think for, for him, it's still very hard to see... Uh, Lorenzo's future teammate uh, coughing this one up. Yeah, exactly. So it'll be interesting to see how that pans out and all that. But um, we'll probably talk more MotoGP another time anyway, just to trying to press through what we've got here anyway. Um, and over the weekend with Le Mans, there was a press conference about the future of uh, the LMP category and also uh, the top of the range category in the WEC and um, hypercar regulations tabled by the ACO and the FIA as a replacement for LMP from 2020 onwards and this is I guess a bit to, to cut costs but also to attract manufacturers back to the sport with cars that they actually build on a production line, hypercars, uh, turn them into prototype races. So we're talking things like McLaren P1, LaFerrari, the new Brabham BT62, I guess, as well. Aston Martin with that Valkyrie too. So yeah, you know, when you hear all those names and think of the possibility that they could be racing Le Mans in a few years' time, fighting for the outright victory. It's like, ooh, give give this to me straight away, because, yeah, that's what Le Mans all about, having those big manufacturers there fighting for one of the biggest races in the world. Yeah, and it's good to 
good to see that that uh, picture for the longer term after a bit of a, a purgatory for WEC, that exodus we've had over the past 18 to 24 months, they, they now know, and perhaps to its credit, uh, ahead of Formula One really um, giving a, a sign-off on what it wants to do from 2021, we can see that this one's now got the, the legs to perhaps attract these manufacturers and, dare we say, drivers on the, the back of what a... Nico Hulkenberg did and now Fernando Alonso claiming Le Mans and they can immediately uh, make their own plans and if they like the sound of of what we've uh, really just described there with some of the, the most uh, appealing cars and beyond now vanity projects are going to get this opportunity to, to show their hand on the greatest stage arguably in in motorsport when it comes to sports cars then uh, yeah, well, exciting gonna, times well it's back to proper sports cars i guess you know in a sense too and what the figures have suggested is that budgets are going to be slashed to they're going to be 25% of what a manufacturer currently spends to compete in LMP1 so they're still going to be hybrid of course like modern hypercars are they've all got hybrid components but just the money that's spent like they spend just as much as a Formula One team does these days. If not more. If not really. more, yeah. Toyota, the Porsche and Audi before them. So, you know, to race on a budget that's 25% of what they currently spend will be phenomenal. And the fact that there'll be cars that perhaps for fans as well, this might be a lot better because fans... Like, that's why GT racing is so popular because fans will see on the track what is on the road too. So it's like, ooh, McLaren P1's racing, LaFerrari's racing. It's more they can relate to it a lot easier <laughs> yeah, than... Cause, because we see every person down the street in their LaFerrari and their P1 yeah, the, the, well, you know, race on Sunday by on Monday. It's not not, not in that sense, but just more eye candy in a way. Like, oh, it's more appealing to the eye than, like, I f- love the prototypes and everything and I was bummed, of course, about the manufacturers leaving because of Dieselgate and whatnot. And now poor Mercedes are involved in some kind of diesel scandal too. Over in Germany, I heard they had to recall um, pretty much most of their diesel line that went out last year or whatever. So not a good name for diesel. So to have, I guess, high um, these hybrid hypercars, petrol engines, and then there's always talk about that they're going to look into hydrogen power as well for Le Mans in the future. It's just like, right, we've got Formula E, then you've got F1 with the hybrid thing. Maybe Le Mans and endurance racing will try and exploit hydrogen power for, for, mo- for motoring. Yeah, you think that uh, they've got now a couple of years to to innovate again based on the road going technology and just seeing how that evolves on that uh, really um, expedited cycle that you do see when they're in competition. There's going to be uh, just rapid development and and who knows who will be on the grid come 2020, but that'll only be the the start point. Yeah, exactly. But um, that's enough about the future i guess let's talk about the past or the immediate past if it is and uh looking back at the 24-hour le mans and the spectacle that it was and i guess coming into the race everyone said oh it's hands down going to be victory for toyota number eight but the way in which it is achieved and the amount of work that goes into it you can if you realize these things then you can easily say that no it's not as easy as what you think i mean toyota of course 
breaking that curse that's been on them since they've been back as a manufacturer in LMP1, or since they've been in LMP1 as a manufacturer up against Porsche, Toyota, Peugeot, or they came in off the back of Peugeot departing. But um, yeah, Fernando Alonso, Kazuki Nakajima, Sebastian Buemi finally win Le Mans. And it's great to see as much as the story was about Fernando Alonso for the other guys there. They've had their own setbacks, you could say, over the... The, the tenure in uh, 2016, well, probably, 2016. They've, they've probably got their own uh, again history from Formula One and then clearly it didn't work out for them there so it was a great collaboration and uh, Fernando Alonso showing his full appreciation rather than soaking up the accolades as though it was all about him which was good to see he knew his place in amongst it all and uh, really for Toyota um a huge sigh of relief, it seems, from all of them, just to prove as much as they were racing themselves that they could get the job done. Yeah, you know, and they themselves said that it was a shame that they didn't have Porsche or Audi to compete against during this race, but I guess, you know, even racing themselves, there's a lot that goes into it, and the fact that... Um, it's such a big race, 24 hours, anything can go wrong, as I said in the preview last week. So, And for the number eight car, it started from pole position, of course, but um, ended up losing the lead of the race just before nightfall, and they had some penalties or whatever, pit lane penalties to serve. But then Fernando Alonso got in the car after midnight, had a demon sh- night shift there doing the graveyard duties, and uh, they ended up coming out of the night in the lead, so they took back the time lost in the penalty. Unfortunately, Jose Maria Lopez struggled um, and didn't do as well as Alonso did. So, you know, for someone who's never done night racing before, you could say up until Daytona 24 hours earlier this year, and Daytona's lit up like a Christmas tree, and Le Mans, you know, especially in that back back part of the circuit it's pitch black there's no lights whatsoever so you know for someone who's there first time racing in the complete darkness you've got to take your hats off to the guy as much as this is about Toyota and the team win Fernando Alonso did contribute you know his fair share to go towards it as did the other guys too so it's not just like Alonso was parachuted in and he's going to take the win on a whim he actually had to work really hard for this one and I think that's what people will appreciate about this effort and coupled with his efforts at Indy last season you can see straight off the bat he is competitive and he respects the sports in their, their own right so he he doesn't just glide in with this mentality that he'll be P1 by default. Yeah, entitled, and, entitled to the win. And now, obviously, that caveat's there to, to make a full-time go out of a, a stateside, um, really, foray to complete that triple crown. And all signs indicate, rather than just having a, a one-off fling at Indy once more in 2019, that it'll be a full-time campaign there, most likely with McLaren. Yeah, you'd hope so for next year and no more F1 for Alonso, sadly enough. But uh, more on the race anyway, I guess, late on, later in the race, there was a scare for the Toyota because the number seven car started slowing down. But all that was was just that Camille Kobayashi just forgot to come in at the time that he had to for a, a pit stop and they were just basically saving fuel on that lap so he could come in and they were penalised and everything after that. But they still finished 1-2 in the end. Uh a sizable 12 laps, I guess, over the uh, the third best car, which was the number three Rebellion. And, um, yeah, even though that Kobayashi's car was a, a lap behind the number eight Toyota, they still came home for a photo finish in the end, side by side with the two Japanese drivers at the helm. And I guess 
why they put those guys in the car is that even though Mazda was the first Japanese manufacturer to win in 1991 Le Mans, um, they didn't have Japanese drivers on hand, so it was they had Johnny, Johnny Herbert they, back then. Didn't well, they? he's Martin not. Brundle, yeah, Johnny it? Herbert and Brundle, but they're not Japanese. So <laughs> um, I was going to say, unless Herbert changed his nationality at the time, but yeah, no, that was a the last time we had a Japanese manufacturer win. So for Toyota to join those ranks, I guess, pretty special. And that '91 Mazda was a a beautiful car, still is these days. So yeah, one two finish for Toyota. Number three Rebellion finished third overall. Um, in the LMP1 category, um, LMP2, we had the 26G drive car with John Eric Verne at the helm take the win and Roman Rusinov, but unfortunately that win was stripped from them afterwards, so they got to celebrate on the podium and everything, and then next morning you read they've had their win stripped away, so it's the 36 Signatech Alpine car that ended up being promoted to the win and the 32 United Autosports car ended up on the podium. And that's the one Pablo Montoya car, which you wouldn't have thought after the crash that he had <laughs> at Indianapolis that um, he would have finished on the podium at the end of the day. Ran out of talent, he said. Yeah, I didn't catch that moment, sadly. But having heard that he had come a cropper, I was surprised to see them in, in the end ultimately, uh, I guess, um, get that lucky feature on on the podium or the top three, as you could say, even if they weren't there physically. Oh, in their class podium, yeah, the LMP too, so... Yeah, I think uh, for Montoya there, he, he was bitten, and just as a few others were, like Paul DeResta also. Yeah, proper. well, he was the teammate in the you know, on the other United Auto Sports car, so not a good day for Zach Brown's team, even though he got to see his uh, F1 driver win the race overall. But yeah, nice podium for them to take away United, that is. Um, but I guess a lot of the excitement, having watched, I think, at least 22 and a half hours of that race myself. I probably did two and a half, so you did very well. <laughs> well, you had other commitments. I had the day off, so I had the time to spend doing it. Um, most of the excitement actually came in the GT category, which I sort of predicted coming into the race. And for GTE Pro, Porsche finished one and two overall. And I guess quite important given the fact that it's their 70th year as well as a manufacturer celebrating that milestone. And they came to the Le Mans with retro livery, retro liveries on their cars. So they had the Rothmans livery on one car. And they had the pig Porsche, the pink livery on the other one, which the pig Porsche won over the Rothmans car. But um, there was controversy too in the latter part of that race um, between the 91 Porsche, which is the Rothmans one, and the 68 Ford. Um, Fred Makovicki was uh, fighting Sebastian Bourdais and... Makiviki trying to break the what do you call it the slipstream or whatever so the Ford would have gotten past if it wasn't for uh, Fred weaving on the track to try and break the slipstream and Bourdais when he got out of the car and came to do an interview was absolutely furious and I think the entire Ford camp were furious because that's not on like they would have thought if it was F1 that would have been an instant penalty so the fact that you know they let them race and everything and ultimately it cost Ford having a second car on the podium too so it was a Porsche one too and Ford ended up with one car on the podium but they could have had two on there easily yeah not really in the spirit of the competition especially at Le Mans so perhaps there was that debate which I, I probably tuned into quite late in the piece but perhaps that ad hoc 
rule administration, it seemed as though they'd just suddenly made this call. I'll oh, let, let them race. It'll it'll be all fine. And uh, it's a shame that it does cost one team perhaps a worthy spot on the podium. Well, if they had crashed out, then I guess it would have been a different story altogether. So, but um, there was a lot of controversy and a lot of discussion about GTE anyway over the weekend. The fact that balance of performance is another issue. Um, Aston Martin, I guess, with their new car, they just didn't have the speed, the straight line speed to, to be able to challenge. So they were basically one hand tied behind the back all weekend. Um, Corvette as well. This is the final year that they're using the C6 Corvette, uh, sorry, C7 Corvette. Next year, they get a whole new car, but they just were uncompetitive. And guys like Ollie Gavin were just unhappy with the way that the the BOP favoured Porsche and Ferrari, sorry, Porsche and Ford this year. Ferrari was sort of in the middle. They didn't really impress or disappoint. But um, yeah, you know, just the whole balance of performance thing was a bit askew for those guys. And yeah, we saw them express their uh, emotions about it afterwards. Yeah, maybe makes for a slightly hollow proceedings when you, you do see, despite Porsche, clearly it meant a lot to, to them on the back of their own past in LMP1, so it meant a lot particularly to the, the team owners in the the uh, amateur categories, but you can see that when it came to the competition there, it probably meant that it wasn't quite the, uh, the spirited race everyone had, had foreseen for the, the GTE classes. Yeah, exactly, but GTE AM, as we'll get to now, a bit different, like it was... I guess there was just issues for some of the regular guy, well, some of the um, more competitive guys. But um, yeah, it was an emotional win for the Dempsey Proton, the number seventy-seven car one, and we saw Patrick Dempsey after the race getting pretty fired up about it and everything. You can see how much it actually means to someone who's on Grey's Anatomy for a living. Um, I don't mean that. I, I respect the guy now, <laughs> given that he's got the passion about the racing. He's got his own team. He was a driver formerly, and never really had success at Le Mans. I think he stood on the podium one year in class but um, yeah for his own team to win the class is great and the fact they had Matty Campbell on board too the Aussie um, picked up class win on his first attempt so that's a big a win on the weekend where Australia got whipped in the cricket whipped in the rugby by Ireland, whipped in the World Cup soccer as well. Oh, by. I wouldn't say whipped. It was a pretty competitive scoreline. Oh, the soccer is... I mean, I don't even know why anyone's getting behind them. They have no hope getting past the groups. They just said it here, even though I don't care about soccer. But Matt Campbell won. So that's a win for Australia in one thing over the weekend. So, um, yeah, no, that was a great result and was really excited. The fact that, yeah, you know... This is a driver who's done well here. He did well last year in Porsche Super Cup supporting the F1 uh, races in Europe and in Mexico. And now doing WEC full-time, hopefully he gets a lot of recognition from Porsche for that and could step up maybe next year to the pro category and drive a factory Porsche. Yeah, the future's really all on his um, shoulders, you could say. The the weight of expectation he's delivered there and... Um, you can see really that it almost means more to these guys in the GTE classes than in LMP one or two, where it's more or less um, just rank and file, go in, enter, just don't break down, and you've got the the victories. These guys here really having to to fight with a bit more of a limited limited base, you could say. So um, for them, it really puts them all on the map in a, a big way. It does indeed. So yeah, another big race, Le Mans. Enjoyed it definitely, and then next year, of course. Um, well, the current super season 
for WEC ends with Le Mans next year. So we'll see all the same guys back next year, hopefully some new faces and whatnot. Like, I was thinking, given the fact that next year is going to be the final year of, um, perhaps the final year of the current LMP regulations, if they do a proper season starting 2020 rather than the whole super season over two season thing, what if, as a tribute to the prototypes, you get Porsche and Audi to come back and just do Le Mans? That would be something, like, given the fact that they've still got, like, Porsche doing a farewell tour with the, the 919, they've turned it into a absolute monster to beat the Nürburgring lap record or whatever. <laughs> too powerful for something No, but like that's not even, but that's not even race legal. <laughs> so, if they were to bring those cars, the Audi R18 and the Porsche 919 back just for Le Mans, that would be a spectacle, just to farewell the category. It was just a thought I had over the weekend. No one's actually, I don't think anyone's brought it up or discussed it, so you heard it here first. Uh, but that would be great, wouldn't it? Just for the final year. I mean, I'm sure Audi and Porsche amidst Dieselgate and all that can find it within their budgets and within their hearts to do that. Yeah, it'd be nice from the sentimental perspective for it to be realised, whether it's one or all of those departed manufacturers to get in on it. It it would be a nice way just to sign off. But again, it's 12 months away, so a lot to, to play out there. Yeah, exactly. So let's bring it back to home anyway. And we had supercars on over the weekend too with the... Uh, Darwin Triple Crown, of course, and plenty of talking points, which we'll just go over anyway for you now. And um, yeah, starting off with Dick Johnson, Team Penske, uh, century of wins um, for Dick Johnson. You know, 19, it's the 19th win that they've had since Penske came on board in 2015. And um, yeah, classic race from Scott McLaughlin. He undercut um, David Reynolds and co on the strategy to end up winning that race um after he well he was on a streak of four wins up until winton but then uh had the poles but couldn't quite convert so yeah solid win for him asserts his lead in the championship but yeah a great milestone for dick johnson himself who's been in australian touring car racing for such a long time five champ i think no not five seven championships they've won and uh they're only behind I think Triple Eight and Walkinshaw now, as far as most wins in supercars. And after that lean spell uh, through the, uh, you could say late nineties, two thousands, with the exception of twenty ten, they've really come with a flourish in the past two or three years with the, the rising of Scott McLaughlin and uh, the input from uh, Roger Penske. There, it's really revitalised them as now the premier team with the, perhaps Triple Eight falling off that pedestal slightly, and you can see the. 100 victories in any capacity uh, over however many years on the the grid they're they're all um valuable in their own way and and this one probably uh coincides you could say with that real upswing you can see between their own form and scott mclaughlin's they've just affirmed now that they are the team to beat for the rest of this season they just seem so formidable yeah and mclaughlin the driver to beat as well and we'll talk about his um heroics in the second race over the weekend a bit later um or actually stuff it let's talk about it now hero drive i thought in race 16 the fact that he started from second and had some Issue with smoke coming out of the back of his car. Um, thought that that could be terminal, but the team said, no, no, it's fine. Um, it's just overheating, but it just kept at it for the whole race. And you thought, oh, is he going to retire? Is he going to retire? This is going to be big. This is going to be big. But um, he managed to hold on to second for the race. And it's a pretty hot race up there in Darwin. He had his 
I think the cooler as well disconnected the tubing and whatnot, so he didn't have his uh, cool suit working and the helmet fan and everything. So, and he had Jamie Wincup breathing down his neck for the whole race too. So he was able to hold on to second. Um, and yeah, in the end, those points that he got as a result of it are going to be crucial come the end of the year. Oh, yeah, I've seen he's already uh, to date optimized every result, even when he hasn't been head of the field. And they're the points when you see so much in supercars, if not in other categories, like maybe in NASCAR, it's quite applicable. But uh, the, the minor points at the end of the day, they're the ones that get you over the line. Yeah, exactly. So great result there from McLaughlin and also uh, from the team, DJR Team Penske, over the weekend. And I guess the other points we're going to talk about is to do with Erebus Motorsport and the fact that they're back this weekend. They were sort of absent in, in Winton and didn't really have and the Phillip results. Phillip Island as well. Phillip Island as well, yeah. They still were up there. I guess they scored some good points, but Winton just seemed a bit anonymous for them. So, yeah, dual podium finish for David Reynolds plus the pole position on Sunday. No, sorry, on Saturday um, in the first race. Anton Di Pasquale, again, rookie of the round. He was... Had his best qualifying with um, third on the Saturday. Wasn't able to convert to good result, unfortunately. But then Sunday, first time he was been in the top 10 shootout too. So solid result there from Anton. And I guess Reynolds himself saying that he's sort of got the kick up the uh, the backside, if you will, by Anton's form. And that's what pushed him on Sunday to get his elbows out and um, win that race. You can see Deeper Squall. He's not the complete package just yet. He's executing one part or the other and he's not far away he's on a real rapid learning curve and probably got the perfect partner there in Reynolds and Erebus probably laying claim for the first time in in many years perhaps uh, since though in any kind of uh, collaboration with Mercedes when they had the four car fleet there you could say as a legitimate two car operation was with it both four cars. I thought it was three was it three or four with Mercedes? Might have been three, but not that they <laughs> had much impact. The, the anyway. point is, though, that, that they weren't really anything beyond a, a notional multi-car team, really, since the Stone Brothers days, and now they're really showing signs of being a, a proper two-car threat. Yeah, exactly, and you know, it's good to see, as we said, dark horses from the start of the year, but. To have Di Pasquale up there as well is, is something good and to see a, a rookie firing as well, which is great. But um, yeah, David Reynolds, race 16, he was the winner. He started fourth on the grid and he's been criticised a lot, I guess, for not getting his elbows out enough. But uh, this time he got more than his elbows out. He hung his balls out and that's in his words, he said, after the race in his typical fashion. Um, yeah, just demon start from fourth and then went around the outside to, to take Rick Kelly, Scott McLaughlin and Jamie Wincup and since then he just didn't look back and ended up winning the race so fantastic stuff. Yeah he wants it badly enough and he's really uh, shown this season if it wasn't already quite clear that he's one of the, the best there and, and again I, I'd reiterate that the the big teams will be really circling eagerly, eagerly there if um, he isn't committed very soon to to Erebus, they'll be wanting to tie him down. I'm sure they will, yeah, given the dynamic that he has within the team and basically he is the the team leader in that situation. So, yeah, I think he's within like 300 points or just over that margin um, in third in the championship at the moment. So, good result for him. Shane Van Gisbergen second in the championship and, yeah, Scott McLaughlin holding that lead tight, heading into Townsville next time out. Yeah, and uh, I guess that circuit really... uh, you could say it's a bit of a 
a unique one in that uh, you might get like a Walkinshaw really looking competitive as they did back in the HRT days. So it might be interesting to see if they can really uh, maximise that fleeting show of speed that they have at certain races. It's certainly an improvement on, on last year, but um, whether this can be like a real street circuit where like an Adelaide that they really come into their own. Well, like they used to, of course, back in the HRT days, as you said. So anyway, let's um, wrap things up with the usual sporting moments of the week. And um, yeah, plenty of motorsport that was on over the weekend as well that you could choose from. But yeah, what, what stood out for you then in the last week? Yeah, I'm struggling again. Had another one of those weekends where it was just work central. So Maybe your same. own heroics at work, you could say that, oh, no, you know, no. that's sporting, you could no, say. I'm going to be selfish like that. <laughs> but, but yeah, just between anything that happened at Le Mans, you know, really, it's probably got to take the, the, the cake. It's hard to go past it just as far as um, the accomplishments for all those guys in their own right. It's a testament and I'm sure that the focus will return more or less to um, something F1 or, dare we say, AFL-related. It won't be cricket-related after Australia overnight conceded the, the biggest ODI <laughs> score of all time, 481. When, when I saw so the, when I saw the, the sc- unsporting moment. When, I, when I saw the scoreboard this morning, I, I had to sort of rub my eyes and say, am I still half asleep here or is that actually, is that actually the score? So, yeah, I have to agree with you. Uh, Toyota, for me, that was... Um, an incredible feat what they did they finally achieved it and it's yeah going to be one of the highlights of the year i guess even though there was no competition blah 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 you guys can you know kill yourselves over that if you want while we celebrate the success of toyota so yeah um plenty coming up this weekend french grand prix of course and uh state of origin too which should be exciting we should talk about it next time anyway but um for this edition thank you so much for joining us hopefully we have a great race this weekend and yeah three three to come in three weeks let's do it yeah bring it on breakneck speed until then (laughs) see you later